40% of adult type 1 diabetics are misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Therefore, 40% of these patients are being treated for a disease they don't have. That was Harrietta Elafirohorinu. Later, we'll hear more from her about why she thinks the pharma industry is at a watershed moment. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, March 10th. Here is Fierce's Andrea Park to give you this week's biopharma and medtech industry news. The selling point for Covis's Makina has always been obvious. It was the only drug available to prevent premature birth. Just one problem. A trial showed it didn't work. Not only did Makina fail to prevent preterm births, but it also didn't improve outcomes for newborns. And now, Covis has agreed to pull Makina from shelves. The decision came after an FDA advisory committee gave it a thumbs down by a vote of 14 to 1. At first, Covis didn't accept the verdict. In a 2022 briefing about the proposed withdrawal of Makina, Covis argued that the impact of preterm birth is disproportionately borne by Black women and other underrepresented groups. It then claimed that because of this, these women would be most impacted by the withdrawal of Makina. In its 12 years on the market, more than 310,000 women who have a history of preterm pregnancy received Makina. And it came with a hefty price tag at $855 per injection, adding up to more than $13,000 over a typical pregnancy. Endorsed under the FDA's accelerated pathway, Makina is yet another example of a treatment that was approved, pun intended, prematurely. For the first time, the FDA has cleared a neurostimulation device to treat tinnitus. Tinnitus is when you hear ringing, buzzing, or other noises in your ear. Currently, doctors treat tinnitus with sound therapy, playing calming noises like river sounds or wind chimes to help a patient ignore the internal ringing. But the Lanier system from Neuromod devices takes a two-pronged approach. Patients wear Bluetooth headphones that play custom sounds, and they also wear a mouth device called the tongue tip, which sends mild electrical shocks to the surface of the tongue. Together, both of those approaches are meant to normalize the nerve signals that are linked to tinnitus. I read that in a recent study, 112 participants with tinnitus gave the linear system a try. Nearly 80% saw improvement after six weeks. They also reported having greater success with the two-part technology compared to sound therapy alone, according to the study. The FDA is now allowing Eli Lilly's breast cancer drug to treat more patients. The drug is called Verzenio. Eli Lilly released a statement on Friday announcing the new indication. The FDA removed a test requirement for selecting patients for the treatment after surgery. As Angus Liu reports, the FDA in 2021 approved Verzenio in HR-positive, HER2-negative early breast cancer patients who are at high risk of recurrence. Originally, a patient had to test for a biomarker called KI67, and only those who scored high for the biomarker could receive the drug. Now, that biomarker test isn't necessary. The FDA changed its mind when Lilly provided longer-term data from a clinical trial. That data convinced the FDA of Verzenio's benefit in patients with low scores for the biomarker. Now those patients can receive Verzenio too. In a second approval, the FDA expanded Verzenio's indication in metastatic breast cancer. It was previously approved in postmenopausal women who met certain conditions. The FDA has now added pre- and perimenopausal women. 
This aligns with guidance the FDA released in 2021 that argues that drugs like Fresenio likely work regardless of the patient's menopausal status. Coming up next, we'll hear about the outcome of Amaran's bitter proxy fight and why Rick Gonzalez, the CEO of AbbVie, might be smiling. And later, a deep dive into why pharma needs to ramp up its use of AI and machine learning tools to stay ahead of the curve. But first, well, we're reporters here, but we're also having a good time, too. And here's just a glimpse into how the show came together this week. Hello. Can you hear me now? Hey, Andrea, do you have me? I can hear you. Karita said, told me something funny about tinnitus. Tinnitus. Yeah, because yeah, it's tinnitus. And she was wait, remote. no, it's not. That's yeah, how you it say is. It? Yeah, it's tinnitus, which is weird. But I learned that from A Star Is Born. <laughs> I thought it was tinnitus. Did no. you think it was? Yeah, I also thought it was tinnitus, but it's tinnitus. Oh, that's right, because he had ringing in his ears, yeah. right? Yeah, I think he says tinnitus, and then his doctor's like, "Yeah, tinnitus." <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! It says in here now. You know, I'm reading People Magazine, so who knows? Uh-huh. But. It says that the scene where Jackson Maine is getting his hearing tested, the ear uh-huh. doctor is Bradley Cooper's real, yeah, his real uh-huh. ear doctor or yeah. hearing specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, ready to read the newscast? Yes. <clears throat> when Amarant unveiled its earnings last week, the presentation had the positive tone typical of quarterly conference calls but there was an elephant in the room. Just a day earlier, Ameren had lost a bitter proxy fight. Its chairman had been sacked and its board was transformed. The vote by shareholders was a huge landslide. At least, that's what Sarissa Capital said in a press release. Sarissa Capital is the activist investor group that orchestrated the takeover. A week later, seven more board members resigned and Ameren stated in an SEC filing that the departures were to avoid more proxy contests. Ameren has been in free fall since losing patent protection in the U.S. for its only commercial product, Vesipa. The timing was terrible, as Vesipa had just won a game-changing approval to treat patients at risk for heart disease. The goal now is to realize the potential of Vesipa in Europe and Asia. Sarissa Capital will have to figure that out in a hurry. Last year, Ameren's revenue dropped from $580 million in 2021 to $367 million. During its quarterly presentation, it was hard for Ameren to put a happy face on those results. 2022 was a good year for Rick Gonzalez, the CEO of AbbVie. He got nearly a 10% pay bump. Fierce's Angus Liu took a look at a securities filing and found that for 2022, Gonzalez's paycheck is worth $26.3 million. The biggest increase came from Gonzalez's equity awards. Growth in AbbVie's stock price helped drive up Gonzalez's equity awards by about $3.2 million. He got $18.9 million worth of stock and option awards last year. By comparison, his base salary remained the same and his cash rewards decreased. AbbVie's stock price had a good run last year, mainly thanks to its drugs Skyrizi and Renvoke. AbbVie is counting on those two drugs now that its most popular product, Humira, has lost its U.S. patent protection. Biosimilars to Humira have just become available a few weeks ago. It's been three years since Roctavian was first rejected by the FDA. Last year, the FDA accepted a new filing to get the drug approved and set a decision date for this month. But now, the FDA says they want three more months. 
BioMarin will have to wait until this summer for a decision. If approved, Roctavian would be the first gene therapy approved in the U.S. to treat hemophilia A. Hemophilia A is a bleeding condition caused by a deficiency in factor VIII, the protein that helps blood clot. But as Zoe Becker reports, Roctavian can treat the condition with a one-time treatment. It delivers a gene that helps the body produce factor VIII. The Institute for Clinical and Economic Review wrote in an evidence report that Roctavian would be cost-effective at a price point of $2.5 million. That's because regular prophylaxis adds up over a patient's lifetime. Biomarin is currently working on a warranty contract for payers in which the company will repay some of the costs if the drug doesn't work as expected. Dr. Harrietta L.F. Therohorinu of IQVIA wrote a piece saying why the pharma industry is at an inflection point. It is expected that the next few years will be an overall down period for pharma growth. So Fierce's Kevin Dunleavy invited her onto the top line to discuss why pharma needs to employ AI and machine learning tools to stay ahead of the curve. Here they are. Harrietta, you wrote a compelling article that really inspired me to write a trend story. It's a look ahead to 2023. You wrote that biopharma is on the precipice of an innovation boom. You believe innovation will be a key separator determining the future success of companies. I think if you went to a man on the street, they would assume that biopharma was on the cutting edge of innovation. But I don't think that's really the case at all. Uh, First of all, do you agree with that? And why do you think that is, if that is the case? Well, uh, historically, life sciences and healthcare um, as industries are more cautious with change due -hmm. to the importance of their work with patients. Uh, both life sciences as well as healthcare are traditionally more risk-averse and highly regulated. However, innovation in healthcare is indeed at an inflection point. There are several transformational forces changing the face of the market, and I hope we get to discuss all of them in more detail. And the challenge that large uh, pharmaceutical companies face today is how to stay ahead of this ever-changing environment and embrace these transformational forces in their corporate strategy. Harrietta, you referenced that AI and machine learning is happening in the meta-pharma era. How would you describe this era and why is it happening now? Well, meta, as you know, is a Greek word used as a prefix to many words such as metamorphosis, metaphysics, metabolic, and it means the state after, signifying change. The meta-pharma, therefore, is the next, change of cha- the next stage of change for the life sciences industry. And wow. there are really four major drivers shaping the meta-pharma era. First, it's the growing segment of emerging biopharma firms um, that 80% of them originate and launch their own assets. And typically, a bio, an emerging biopharma has one or two assets that they are looking to launch without the support of large pharmaceutical companies that traditionally have the, cha- the channels and the expertise and the capital in doing so. Second driver is this rising number of innovation startups around the world. In fact, we're talking about an explosion of an innovation ecosystem. Over 100 billion were invested in healthcare startups globally in 2021, which was the peak year. This figure was recalibrated to about 60 billion in 2022. But this gives you the gist of how much fuel is thrown into this innovation ecosystem globally, developing transformational solutions that pharma, one way or the other, needs to see how to work or um, adopt. Third driver is the big tech now making big entries and investments into digital health and in the healthcare market more broadly. And given 
the global infrastructure and the global scale that big tech comes with, they really have the potential to transform at, this, at another level. Final major driver of the metapharma era is the convergence of the life sciences with the healthcare industry. We now see these two industries coming together to what we call holistic personalized care. With respect to the pharma industry, Perietta, what are the largest challenges that, as it applies to technology? Well, in general, we should uh, stay honest and uh, say that the tech advancement pace is much faster than the adoption that um, we could have in the industry. And the pharma industry is overwhelmed with a plethora of new technology solutions uh, and really exploring which ones to adopt and scale up. Uh, while pharma is looking to disrupt, at the same time is being uh, disrupted. If we were to give some more examples, uh, the healthcare practitioners are spending more time online. Therefore, pharmaceutical companies need to embrace a hybrid model on how do they engage traditionally with uh, physicians. Um, the pandemic years we've seen have been very challenging to launch new medicines uh, and devices. And um, emerging biopharmas are putting pressure on the large pharmaceutical companies, driving a need for innovation and current dependency more in the life sciences around the mature brands, not the latest ones. I think there's another player to, uh, to recognize here. It's the government's role. What is the government's role in these challenges? The government's role over time starts to appreciate that treating patients is much more costly to preventing diseases from occurring. And we see a shift from treatment to prevention. Uh, we yeah. call this a lot uh, predictive, preventative, and you know, ultimately personalized medicine. Um, Ten times more money is being spent on treating rather than preventing diseases. Uh, said the UK Health Minister Matt Hancock in 2019. And um, we see a number of um, governments that um, expect prevention to eventually bring costs down. Um, what we also observe is um, several major countries, including the US in the leading role, Germany with a new DIGA pathway in Europe, UK and others, also setting the legal frameworks for the market entry and reimbursement of digital therapeutics, which is yet another um, segment of the market of digital health solutions. Um, there are countries such as US, China, and UK leading the way uh, on um, developing the frameworks for um, AI population health. And clearly, we have a constant negotiation between governments, pharma payers, and providers on the cost of drugs, but this has always been the case. Yeah. So you've got this ever-changing environment, and how do pharma companies stay ahead of the curve? Well, uh, what I talked about in my article, that uh, pharma, in, in order to stay competitive and ahead of the curve, um, really needs to invest in three areas to have competitive advantage. The first one is to double down on digital transformation, and those that haven't done it already at scale, they are already behind. Second is to adopt artificial intelligence at scale, but not everywhere because AI is a solution, but it's not a panacea. We need to adopt AI at scale where it really drives differentiation. And third one is to embrace innovation at the core and not the periphery. And I can talk a little bit more about that. The doubling down on digital transformation. Can you break that one down a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So what we see in, um, in life sciences and healthcare more broadly is that now patient experience becomes key to expand the value constructs, moving away from traditional treatments to holistic patient care. So um, if we were to couple this and start with um, 
without ND in pharma as fast. There is a plethora of novel sensors, wearables, digital biomarkers, digital endpoints, and devices that capture data 24-7 and can really transform clinical trials, making it easier for patients to enroll, and at the same time empowering pharma sponsors with more data points and therefore more evidence. We see plenty of these um, uh, digital endpoints and biomarkers, especially in the central nervous uh, system space with the Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, mental health, and more. Devices can also be used uh, for remote monitoring, taking away a lot of the burden that the staff at the hospital sites experiences. So digital, in this case altogether, offers improved experience for both patients and physicians, coupled with stronger evidence. If we were to move uh, further down the supply chain of a pharma and go from R&D to drug launch and then drug in market, technology can be a differentiator to reaching the right patients and physicians with the right content. We call this digital engagement, and that can also be enhanced with artificial intelligence for even more personalization and effective education for all the new drugs that come to market. In general, as pharma is becoming more patient-centric, Digital platforms that patients connect and share their experiences of receiving those drugs can amplify the voice of the patient and can be used as useful tools for pharma to offer them in digital patient support programs. Yeah, I think the pandemic really brought more urgency to the to those things you point out, Harrietta. Another area that you identify is um, is for companies to double down on AI across supply and value chain. Can you flesh that one out a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, you are right. The pandemic has been the catalyst, as we all admit, of the faster adoption of plenty of these uh, technologies. If we were to double-click on artificial intelligence, there is really so much going on these days on artificial intelligence use cases in pharma that we would need to prioritize a few. Um, We can start with the AI drug discovery space which is a really new market segment over the past few years, growing at about 45% combined annual growth very aggressively. And um, to put it simply, this is uh, the market segment that uh, artificial intelligence is trying to discover new drugs, de novo. Um, And then we could couple this with artificial intelligence being used in drug development and clinical trials, where we've seen... um, AI being effective in helping with protocol optimization, predicting the likely outcome of a trial phase, and therefore giving the opportunity to the sponsor to adapt the design, as well as plenty more options. We should again stay honest and say that these are two fields, AI drug discovery and development, really exciting. We see a lot of momentum. Um, we see the first um, proof points. Um, they are on the rise, but they are not fully proven yet, right? More work is needed. Coming to trial operations, maybe phase two, phase three. Now, according to a number of reports, insights and more, 80% of clinical trials fail to complete on time. Uh, Two out of three sites struggle with enrollment. Almost 100% of the protocols get revised. Where we have seen tangible proof points in the trials that IQVIA operates is that artificial intelligence facilitates faster trial recruitment and reduced costs. We've also seen that 90% of protocols can be revised, mitigating the risks before the trial starts, and uh, therefore artificial intelligence drives improved site identification and faster recruitment altogether. 
And I wouldn't like to miss out by talking about one use case that we've seen AI really being effective once a drug is in the market. And this is um, what we call in patient identification. Let me give you a tangible example. Um, Plenty of the diseases, as we can all relate, we're all patients at the same time, right, often Mm -hmm. get misdiagnosed. Work that we have done with the JDRF in the U.S. showed that 40% of adult type 1 diabetics are misdiagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Therefore, 40% of these patients are being treated for a disease they don't have. Mm. Isn't that mind-boggling? Right. And this is where we use AI that when learning from patients' historical health records can act as a decision support tool to the physician to help specify who are the real type 1 diabetics and therefore treat the right person for the right disease. Mm. Wow. You can really see the value there. Um, and your third point of emphasis for firms that you identify is to embrace and accelerate innovation more broadly. And these areas include innovative mechanisms of action, trial design, drug delivery, reimbursements, business models, which bring affordability and health equity. And in your article, you mentioned some of these innovations over the last few years and and some examples of what you're talking about. And those might be of particular interest to our audience. Can you discuss those, please? Yeah, absolutely. What I've tried to do is really to give some tangible examples of how we can approach innovation more broadly and not just... um, um, approach innovation as a mechanism of drug action or just a novel a platform. So um, what I've included in the article are um, three successful launches that we've seen in the last couple of years. And uh, what they all have in common is that they brought forward some real innovation and disruption. They address the patient unmet need and they approach the patient experience more holistically. Back to my point that patient experience is really becoming a key value construct for the industry. Take, for example, by Heaven's Nartec prescription medicine that is used to treat migraine in adults. It combines both prophylaxis and acute treatment, so it has this dual action. And what this um, company managed to do very effectively is drive novel digital campaigns with celebrities across several channels and HCPs. Uh, if we were to move to the other example, obesity is a top five risk factor for, for death. And Novo Nordic's uh, Wegovi, again, addressed patient unmet need. And it also managed to become the number one most successful 21 launch, targeting a large patient population seeking treatment options, as opposed to the trend that we see recently of drugs targeting niche patient populations. Uh, like I said, innovation is not only about breakthrough mechanism of actions, but can also be about simpler formulation, taking the the burden from healthcare systems and improving patient experience. The likes of Kizimta and Psego are great examples of delivering holistic, improved patient experience. And Kizimta also had strong patient support program to the point that I made before. Again, great examples of patient centricity in action. How about IQVIA? What role are they playing in this narrative? Well, at IQV, our vision is to transform healthcare and to accelerate innovation. We are establishing a number of ventures and strategic partnerships with innovative companies that want to make an impact across the healthcare ecosystem. We also give access to our capital to those with game-changing potential. Well, thanks a lot for being with us. It's a very interesting look at the future and really at the present as well, uh, and a lot to consider. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin, for the opportunity. It's been great talking. That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodson. 
You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. And that's the bottom line from the top line. Mm-hmm.